Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 99 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, the one and only Dorothy, I want to put a plug in for the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass on Patreon. The Backstage Pass gives you backstage access to all things Mistress Carrie. You can take part in our exclusive monthly live stream. Get access to concert ticket giveaways. You can submit interview questions for upcoming podcast interviews. And you get travel blogs, inside music and entertainment info. And you can also get discounted merchandise in the online Mistress Carrie store. Like right now, Backstage Pass holders can buy the brand new Mistress Carrie tank tops for 20% off. Sun's out, guns out. Click the Backstage Pass link in the show notes of this podcast or get more information at mistresscarry.com. Recently, Dorothy was in Boston just a couple days before the release of her new album, Gifts from the Holy Ghost. I had no idea that she had been in town sightseeing, but I was really excited to talk to her not only about being able to be on the road again, but also about the upcoming album. We talked about her sightseeing excursions in Boston while she was in town, the songwriting process for the new album, what she did during her downtime through COVID, what the fan support has meant to her and what it's like to get back out on the road. We talked about Dorothy's musical influences and cannolis and so much more. So allow me to introduce you to Dorothy. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your bra on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturb, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Dorothy, 
Welcome back to Boston. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm so good. I had a couple days off here and it was, I really, really love Boston. It was awesome. I wish that I had known that you were often in town. I would have offered to give you the Mistress Carrie tour of the city. Okay, what does that look like? Tell me. Well, there's all kinds of little hidden historical gems around, little nuggets of history that locals know more so than the tourist books. Great places to go and get amazing food. Boston's become quite the culinary city. You know, I did have uh, some amazing lobster rolls yesterday for lunch. Yeah, that's... It's, it's that, it's it's clams. People always want to go and get really good Italian pastries. Mm-hmm. Mike's cannolis, right? Or Mike's pastry? Mike's pastry is one of the places. It's one of the most Instagrammed locations in all of Boston. They had a huge line, so I didn't bother going in, but I could see the menu and they have every flavor of cannoli you could ever think of. Um, I had some pasta at Carmelina's. I don't even know if that's a good spot, but I just... We were hungry, so I, I popped in and got some some Alfredo. It was great. It's hard to find a bad meal in the North End. But if you're with a local, there's some other little local places you can get a cannoli that's just as good that people don't know about. Well, next time, we got to do it. We got to do your tour. Yep. I will give you the official Mistress Carrie tour of Boston. My brain is filled with useless information about my beloved hometown. <laughs> So it's a big week for you because the new album is coming out. And I know that you've been doing a lot of press and interviews about Gifts from the Holy Ghost because it's an incredibly personal record for you. I have been, yes. Um, You know, this album I'm very, very proud of. I worked with some incredibly talented people that all converged on this album somehow. I mean, I I can't even like, think of them all like Scott Stevens and the four horsemen, Trevor Lukather, Phil X, Chris Lord Algie, um, Keith Wallen from breaking Benjamin, Jake, Jason hook from five finger death punch. And, um, so there's just so much talent on it. I'm excited. I want to know what the fans think. So I can't wait for them to get to hear it. Finally. I asked Taylor Mumps in this question because she wrote an album from a very personal and emotional place and kind of publicly processed loss. And so I asked her the same question. Does it make it easier to kind of process something that is so personal or does it make it harder because you pour all of this into the music, but then you have to answer questions about it all the time? Yeah. um, You know, uh, fortunately, I didn't, you know, I, I, I feel for her that she, she had to go through that. And, um, I feel like this album for me was a very exciting and uplifting journey. Um, there was personal stuff that I went through sprinkled throughout the last couple of years that were pretty traumatic and, um, and all that. But I think, I think that you, if you want to write music with substance, then you should probably dip into the experiences you've had and you share your experiences, your strength, your hope with the audience. And to me, that is what good music is all about. I would just think that that then when you go to perform those songs, whether it's a happy song about something amazing or a sad song that that brings you to a really dark emotional place, is it almost like you get possessed by those feelings again every night when you perform them live? You know what's so interesting? I get 
I don't know what I get possessed by. Um, but, um, more often than not, I just feel, um, love when I'm performing in front of a, an audience and they're having a good time. Even if the subject matter of the song is heavier or dark or sad, um, I just, because there's such a wonderful connection between us and the audience and they're there to enjoy a show that you kind of, the dominant emotion, the dominant feeling and vibe is usually one of excitement and fun and joy um, because we're there to, you know, help them let loose and enjoy music for an hour and not think about their bills or their divorce, you know, or the family member that's going through chemo or whatever, whatever these people are going through, they're coming to a show to be entertained and also maybe, you know, get some sort of healing because music is so healing. And I've, I've had that experience many, many times. So, um, and I don't look at it like what I'm going through. I try to put my, I try to put myself aside and just sing the songs and perform and connect with them the best I can. I think that was the hardest part for rock fans in particular because of COVID is that we weren't able to go to our meeting place, those live shows to be able to congregate together and have that escape. Because I know as a music fan, it was very difficult for me to not be able to go to shows. I can't imagine what it's like for from a performer's perspective. So how tough was it for you? Uh, well, of course, the the whole experience was tough. Um, and I, I just heard this morning that they've lifted uh, the mask mandates. So it kind of points to where we're at now. And um, certainly, I'm sure a lot of people are very relieved. And um, I for me, I got I got lucky, I guess. I don't think anything's an accident. I think that, you know, there's a plan and a purpose for everyone's life. So um it didn't catch me on a touring cycle. It caught me on an album cycle. So I basically buckled down and continued to make this album. And, and because of the things that were happening in the world, I was all the more determined to create something that would empower people, that would help them in some way, that would give them hope, that would make them feel excited, get, you know, bring them happiness. So um, all it did was strengthen my resolve to make good music. And that's why I'm really pr proud of this record. And I can't believe we're here. We're here. It's almost out. <laughs> oh, my God. The uh, w when everything kind of happened, because the, the pandemic really hit just a couple weeks after WAF went off the air, which is where I met you when you came in to play on my show. And so I was already kind of in lockdown because my beloved 50-year legacy rock station had just gone off the air and I was trying to figure out what was next for me. Then the whole world got put in that position. And I said a long time ago that you were going to come out of COVID better, that you were going to see it as an opportunity, or you were going to come out of it worse because it it had such a negative effect on you. And I think people like you that that saw it as, okay, I'm locked down. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to take this as an opportunity to make this record better. I, I think there's a certain cathartic thing that, that at least you had that to focus on. Like I built my studio and launched my new show and all of that. Like at least you had something to focus on. Yeah, it totally. Yeah. You know, there was a time for introspection. I think I grew a lot spiritually 
um, and emotionally. There was, it did at first very severely negatively impact me. Um, you know, a lot of people relapsed and overdosed and all that, st- all the mental health um, implications that the, for some reason the news doesn't want to really talk about, but um, is a real thing. You know, a lot of kids that were overdosing on fentanyl and the, the number one killer in the United States and suicide and depression numbers, you know, just skyrocketing. Um, so I experienced some of that, um, but I turned to the music and I knew same, same as you, I had that mindset. I knew we would get through it. And when we did, we'd be coming back to rock shows. And so what am I going to give? What am I going to give when it's time to do that? Gifts from the Holy ghost happened. That's it was born under, um, fire. It was born under fire and, and pressure. And so, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe, Maybe that's why I love it so much. You've always been very vocal about, um, you know, your process and sobriety. And it's something that, you know, plagues this industry so much. And it is something we talk about on the show a lot because of the isolation, the mental health crisis. It, it, we've actually been talking about it a lot, not only here, but also on my video show, Cocktails in the War Room, because... For so many people that are so used to the social part of their lives to have that taken away. And for somebody like you who and all artists that are used to being on the road, you're used to having that part of your lifestyle be living out of a suitcase, waking up in a different city every day. For a lot of musicians, this is the longest time they spent in one place in their whole adult life. Right. It totally is. Yeah, it was weird. I um. I went to a lot of uh, 12-step meetings on Zoom and whoever was doing it in person. And I, um, I went outside in, the, in nature and I hiked and I jogged every day. Um, and I just didn't choose to live in fear. You know, I turned off the news and um, focused on healing stuff within myself and creating music. And I, I'm very grateful that I had that outlet. A lot of people discovered new hobbies and got better at the ones they already had. Like I spent, I had no weeds in my vegetable garden because I had the extra time. (laughs) And I know a lot of people got into jigsaw puzzles and putting extravagant Lego collections together and, and discovering a love of cooking. Is there something non-music related that you really kind of discovered a love for? Um, Muay Thai and traditional boxing. I already kind of had a love for it, but my gym, um, my gym was open. It was, it's a small, it's a private gym and I would train. I trained a lot. And, um, you know, I think my punching is a lot more devastating now than it was before everything happened. (laughs) Well, not only that, but it's a great way to get rid of those frustrations of, of what was going on. Yeah. And, um, cooking certainly, um, and, and a lot of recovery stuff, but then just a lot of music. Yeah. That was my life. What's the Dorothy signature dish? The thing you make the best? I don't, I don't know, but I, I, I look at way too much food stuff on Instagram. It's turning into a problem. Now I save things and I want to go home and try to recreate them. But, um, you know, I would make like coconut rice and, and teriyaki salmon and roasted vegetables, you know, Anything that I could dip Chick-fil-A sauce, <laughs> you know, dip in the Chick-fil-A sauce. I was making it in my oven. <laughs> Can we talk about um, your your upbringing and kind of your 
uh, introduction to music. It's it's my belief that music fans, they get gifted music by their environment, parents, the cool uncle, siblings. And then there's a line in the sand where you discover an artist, a song, an album that you say, okay, this is now mine. So what was the soundtrack of your childhood? And then what was that moment where you discovered music on your own and who was it? Um, okay, so I grew up listening to Motown, Oldies, Elvis, Aretha Franklin, Ella Fitzgerald, CCR, Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, lots of 70s classic rock, Pink Floyd, all that stuff. And then came Motley Crue and the, you know, all the rock and roll, like, it was, it was all the, um, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, ACDC, Black Sabbath, um, Def Leppard, uh, one of my favorite albums of all time, Hysteria and amazing record, but then came nineties and Nirvana. And that is the moment I, I don't know, because I think I was, I was becoming a teenager during that time. And I was starting to experience high school and I was listening to like Audio Slave and um, you know um, Nirvana and um, Sum Forty One, Blink One Eighty Two, um, Newfound Glory. Um, there were so many bands. I was listening to all the bands, all the bands I could get my hands on. Um, you know, I can't even remember. I, I can't think off the top of my head everybody right now. But I was just listening to band after band, Jimmy World, like everybody I could get my hands on, and so. That's when I kind of was like, I think that planted the seed later that I would go, I could start a band, you know, that's kind of what planted that for me. And especially Nirvana um, was the soundtrack of my high school. I was just talking about this on the air. This was the 28th anniversary of Kurt Cobain's passing, which means he's been gone longer than he was alive. And when I realized that it kind of blew my mind. It's amazing. Wow. It's been so long. And that he had such impact and influence that there are so many artists that cite Nirvana, just like you did as, as a launching pad, as inspiration for you wanting to have a career in music. Yeah, he definitely, I think he really inspired our generation. Um, and his songwriting and his just how unique he was being himself, you know, I, I feel like that was really important to lean on as an artist to have those. I, I look at it like he was a mentor, you know, Lincoln Park, like, man. And I was listening to all the 90s West Coast hip hop, too. And music was so, so great when I was growing up. It still is. I just I remember discovering it all and feeling getting taken to another place by it. And so I. I don't know how my fans are experiencing us and the music we put out, um, but I certainly hope it made me feel like the Futures album by Jimmy World, which is so, it, it, it's so emo, <laughs> you know? Um, it's such a great album. And um, I hope we're doing that for them because I remember when I was in middle school, high school, I was, I was just becoming a teenager. That's such a special time in your life. It's such an important time and, and confusing music, time, confusing. But when you're discovering music in that, it can really help you, you know, and that's why I try to be conscious of the words I write down when I'm creating a song. 
what did you discover first that you could write lyrics and songs or that you could sing? Uh, singing came first. And then when I discovered that I loved to write, it was like in my late teens, but I didn't really seriously pursue it until my twenties. And I started the band. Then I really got into it. Now I'm like, and I feel like I grew in leaps and bounds as a songwriter over the last three albums. And um, I really always search for the deeper substance, you know, but you want to have a song with substance, but still be easy um, and full of ear candy and easy to sing. And you want fans to sing along with you. So um, I don't know what the perfect formula is, but um But yeah, writing songs is very fun for me. I ask this question to every songwriter that I talk to because I wish and I covet the ability that you have to be able to write songs. I've tried to do it and failed spectacularly. So I want you to give me an example or two of a song from any genre, any artist. That doesn't matter. Um that you covet from a songwriter's perspective, that you think is a perfect example of songwriting to the point where you're like, man, I wish I wrote that song. But I want you to break it down from a songwriter's point of view and tell me why you think it's spectacular songwriting. Okay, everything I do, I do it for you, Brian Adams. That song from beginning to end is the not only an amazing song, it's the perfect love song. That's what I aim for. You know, the next time I sit down and I want to write a love song, that's what I'm aiming for. It's it, there's nothing canned. There's nothing about it that feels phony or just, you know, just words. It's it's it touches you and it's so real and you can feel the love in the song. Um, but it's a beautiful song. You can everyone can sing it and sing along and um, you can share it with someone when you can't find the words to say he's saying it for you. It's just, I mean, I can't explain to you how he did it or why it is that way, but that is from beginning to end. There's no part of that song that is unnecessary. And, um, all of it is just so beautifully crafted. Is it harder to write a ballad like that? Or is it harder to write a more up-tempo rock song? Or is it just dependent on the song? I think it depends on a lot of things. I think it depends on your mood, who you're writing with, um, what you've just been going through, what the inspiration is. I mean, I just go on what feels right, like what feels good and what feels right. And uh, like when I was writing with Trevor Lukather, um, he had a bunch of riffs and um, he started playing one of them. And I, I started singing something. So I was getting the melody first. And the words made no sense. It was complete gibberish, but I'm recording everything in my phone. And then I go back later and it's kind of like a puzzle. And I just go back and fill in the words like And sometimes your subconscious, I I don't know where it comes from, but the words will sound like lyrics. I'm like, oh, that's what I meant to say, you know, and then I fill it all in. And and then I kind of look at it and listen to it. It starts to fall into place. I feel like maybe the songs write themselves and we're just the vessel. I, I don't know. You're not the first artist that I've talked to that has said that, that, that you just kind of are the mechanism. Mm-hmm. So, but, and then I want to know where do they come from? <laughs> so when you're working on a song, like let's take rest in peace, for example, because there's, there's the album version, but then there's also an acoustic version. So 
Is it more of a written on acoustic turned electric or written electric and then figured out how to turn it into an acoustic? Which came first? That was written on electric, I would assume. Maybe he wrote it on acoustic first, but I wasn't present for that part of the song um, by Scott Stevens. So when the, when the record is finished and it's an electric, you know, rec- hard rock record, um, my band can take their acoustic instruments and just play what we're playing acoustically and it just changes the vibe um but yeah that came first and then we wanted to do a different variation of it there are different songwriting methods right everybody has their own idea like i'll give you an example jerry cantrell told me that he sings riff ideas into the recorder on his phone but when i talked to zach wild he doesn't write music unless he's sitting down to write for a specific project which i was really surprised by Do you have notebooks of song ideas laying around or are you someone that has to kind of sit down and immerse yourself in the process, in the moment to create a specific thing? Yeah, I sit down. I'm more like Zach Wild. Um, Once in a while, I'll get an idea, but I have to be there sitting down um, or, you know, sometimes randomly like Gifts from the Holy Ghost was written um, at a sound check because the guys were messing around with a riff but we were still there playing, they were playing their instruments and I was like, all right, well, I know we're sound checking, but why don't we, why don't you just keep playing that? Because I have an idea. And I started recording my, on my phone and I started recording a bunch of gibberish. And the song used to be called Spokane Fire. It was written um, during the 28 days in that Valley touring cycle. And then later it became Gifts from the Holy Ghost. And now it's on this record. Um, but typically, I will go in the studio with somebody and start writing with them. And um, if something's not working or it doesn't feel right, I'm like, why don't we try a different idea until we, you know, until we're on to something. We're in this place now where we went from the whole world, especially the entertainment industry, shut down. And this kind of creative bubble that, that musicians and artists kind of got sealed into because... There was nothing else to do. And now this year looks like the craziest touring year. And probably (laughs) over the next 12 months, we're going to get more amazing new music from artists coming out of COVID. So you're being thrust now into this insane touring year where people are just gobbling up concert tickets because they're like, I'm out of the house. Mm, yeah, no, I, I had figured that would happen. I'm really looking forward to the new Hailstorm record. I'm so excited about that. It looks awesome. I mean, Back from the Dead is my jam. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What are you looking for, uh, looking forward to the most from your artist friends and whose records can't you wait to hear? But then also, what are some of the some of the places, some of the shows, and some of the artists that you're going to play with that you're like can't wait for? So I'm really, I love Lilith Czar right now too. And I I know we're playing Bottle Rock Napa at the end of this tour. I know this summer we're playing Louder Than Life. Um, And we're looking at some more heavy touring in the fall, winter, which is exciting. And I don't know what else summer has going on. I've done a couple collaborations that are are not out yet that haven't been announced with some really cool people. And um, I think it's going to be a summer of love. And I'm going to write that love song this summer. (laughs) Just because it's 
personally now challenged myself to do it. It seems like America, correct me if I'm wrong, has really kind of figured out these amazing festival shows that Europe has been famous for for a long time. Oh, gosh, but I, I still can't wait to go over there. Germany, the UK, I get I get messages from fans all the time. Come to the UK, come to Germany, come to Brazil, come to Argentina, you know, so, you know, we can't wait to do all that. I talked to Lilith and I talked to Amy Lee and a lot of other, you know, really successful women in rock about this kind of new age. And as someone that's worked in, in rock for a long time, it's like there's been this anticipation for a time where it wouldn't be a novelty anymore for there to be a woman in the band or for the front person to be a woman or whatever. Do you feel like we've gotten to that place? Cause there's a lot of great fucking rock music being made by women right now. There's, there really is. Um, I, I just think that the more women that step up and do it, the more that the little girls get inspired when they're growing up and they're, you know, I had Joan Jett, I had Dolly Parton, I had Cher and Tina Turner, and, um, I had Courtney Love and Jewel and Alanis Morissette. Those were the women I was looking at, you know, um, so I just, I, I'm so grateful to them and yeah, look around like Lizzie's killing it. Lilith is killing it. It's, they're just such badasses. Um, so I have nothing but love for them. And I listen to their records when I'm out jogging or whatever. And it's, it's awesome. And very proud of it's showing that even though, you know, more guys say, listen to rock music, you know, statistically or whatever, that the fear that guys wouldn't listen to to rock music, quote unquote, by women was kind of ridiculous because they obviously are. When you look out in the crowd tonight at the show, there's going to be a lot of guys there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And singing along, you know, waving their drinks in the air. It's And it's so funny to me when they're singing like Flawless, which is um, kind of like a girl's breakup anthem. <laughs> And they're these big burly dudes like with their beer and they're singing flawless with me. It's the funniest thing. I love it so much. Yeah, they're awesome. But I guess it's the same thing for a guy like Josh Todd to look out in the crowd and see girls singing crazy bitch. Like Exactly. It's we same li- thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. I love that song too. Crazy <laughs> bitch. I, I I like to tell people that he wrote it about me, even though, you know, he didn't, but I'm like, he wrote that about me. I was the inspiration. <laughs> well i really appreciate you hanging out with me today i'm so bummed i didn't know you were in town the last couple days because it's so rare that you guys get days off to actually go and sightsee in the towns that you're in because you're usually in and out oh yeah well it was good i had my date with me we we uh i was in good company we did a lot of sightseeing Boston, boston can be a very romantic place to walk around very very romantic and it's like kind of gothic and cool you know um, we walked through the the public gardens and the saw the statues and all the landmarks you know it was awesome if you're into old cemeteries and headstones and all of that kind of stuff but say this okay this guy is so so meant to be for me we were walking by a cemetery and he's like, let's go in. And we go in and he's like, sit down. He starts taking pictures of me in the cemetery. I'm going to post them. They're really cool. Um, it was, it was, I know it's weird, but to me, it was really romantic. The headstones are so old. You can't even read anything on them. They're just like decrepit and falling apart and mossy. And, um, 
awesome. This is really, really cool. Well, you're a West Coast girl. And so the, the, the definition of old in California versus old in Boston is very different. Totally different. We don't have that kind of old in California. I wish we did. Like this, this in Savannah, Georgia and Charleston and all that. Yeah, we don't have that kind of romantic old stuff. You got to book a show in Massachusetts in October. And if, you oh, can, yeah. and if you can get a day off, I'll take you to Salem in October. And it's a whole thing. You would love it. Oh, I've, I've been there and it wasn't during October, but I've heard it's awesome. It's like Halloween just takes over the city for the whole month. It's a blast. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? If that happens, I will let you know. We should, we should definitely go out and about. Hell yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on the new record. Have fun on the tour, and um, the next time you come to town, I'll tell you where to get the cannolis. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. There she is, the lover of lobster rolls, the one and only Dorothy. The new album, Gifts from the Holy Ghost, is out right now. You'll find a lot of the songs from that album, a lot more Dorothy music, and all of the artists that we talked about in this interview in this episode's corresponding playlist that's linked in the show notes of this podcast. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. And every weekday, you get the sit rep. The Situation Report is filled with rock news, music headlines, and industry info. And you get it all in five minutes. And you can join me every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern, live on my official Facebook page for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. Get details on all that and more, including the Mistress Carrie radio show, my blog, photo galleries, and the events calendar that is filled with all the concerts coming to New England. And you can even do a little shopping in the online Mistress Carrie store if you head to mistresscarrie.com. The Mistress Carrie podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.